0: Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. If a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? If an event happens and there's no one to witness and remember it, does it become part of history? When I researched my book, Emancipation, about Europe's Jews in the century and a half between being liberated from the ghetto and the Holocaust, I came across the stories of many interesting people in obscure places, completely forgotten because the community that might have remembered them had been eradicated. They were no longer part of history, and restoring them to the record became my obligation. I felt like a ghost hunter after a while, and I did a series for the BBC about my ghost hunting explorations many years ago. As Yom Kippur approaches, a day of obligations, among them remembering our dead and saying Kaddish for them, I thought I would post one of those essays here. You don't have to be Jewish to get this lesson I learned in Hamburg, Germany. It's particularly relevant to what's happening in America today. This is about the ephemeral nature of civil rights laws, the tarnished promise of integration, how racial hatred is never dead and buried, and finally, the narrative of history itself. Here we go. Do you know who Gabriel Reeser was? No? I'm not surprised. Well, I promised to tell you shortly, and he is, or was, a very interesting fellow. It seems like no one knows of him even in his hometown, Hamburg. In the Bar Orel on Straße. I couldn't resist asking a grizzled white haired guy still clinging to his youth in nineteen sixty eight if he knew Gabriel Reeser. Hamburg has one point seven million people, he sneered. No, 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 no. He lived here in the nineteenth century. It was really quite important. Really? he said, then turned away. I wish he hadn't. Because I wanted to tell him Reeser was from around this part of town. Altuna which, in the early 19th century, was a western suburb of Hamburg, but is now part of the city proper, and it was home to the city's Jewish population. Hamburg, free city, trading capital of the Baltic Sea, had a thriving Jewish community in the early 19th century, around the time Rieser was born. Its leading citizen was Solomon Heine, the poet Heinrich's rich uncle, very rich uncle. The Jewish Reformation was in full swing in Hamburg, while Rieser was a boy. The community, on its own, was reforming the centuries-old religious traditions that had marked ghetto life. The ghettos were disappearing, even if equal rights had not been offered by the hundreds of different political entities that comprised the German-speaking world. Many Jews felt they needed to change the way they worshipped so they would be ready to take their place as citizens when they finally got their rights. The Reform movement changed everything. Rabbis began to dress like Lutheran pastors. They started to give sermons. The name of the house of worship changed. No more synagogue or shul. Reform worship took place in a temple. The temple had been in Jerusalem. In the almost two millennia of wandering and oppression following its destruction, a tradition grew that the temple could only be rebuilt in Jerusalem. What the Reformers were saying, by calling their building a temple, was... The wandering is over. Germany is our home now. Everything was up for redefinition, including the term by which the community was known. The word Jew fell out of favor, like the word Negro during the Civil Rights era in the 1960s. The Emancipation era called for a new designation for the group. Israelite became the community's preferred form of reference throughout Europe, although Hebrew and follower of Moses were also acceptable. Gabriel Rieser grew up in this atmosphere, took his law degree, and found that, despite all his community's efforts to become more German, he was unable to practice or teach the law because he was a Jew. But he was not interested in the compromise of conversion. He was a Jew, and he was a German. So, in 1831, he began to proselytize for Jewish civil rights in Germany. In his first pamphlet, he wrote, Conversion should be no guarantee of German nationality. In his view, this turns a religious act into a political one. Reeser concluded, There is only one baptism that confers nationality. That is the baptism of blood in the common struggle for freedom and fatherland. Many Jews had fought against Napoleon in the Wars of Liberation. Their blood sacrifice had earned their community equal rights. He wrote pamphlets and started a magazine called Der Jude, The Jew. The title was a red flag to Germans and his own community. If they thought by changing the name Jew to something more acceptable to society they would avoid injustice and hatred, they were wrong. Vain hope, he wrote. Believe me, hatred will find its man just like the angel of death. It shall recognize him through a thousand favorable names. Reeser pushed, was rejected, suffered from depression. Roused himself, and in 1848, following the revolutions, played a crucial role in writing a constitution for a notional unified Germany. It gave full citizenship rights to all, regardless of religion. That state never came into existence, but the constitution was adopted by Hamburg, and finally, Rieser was allowed to practice law. In 1859, he was appointed the head of the city's Supreme Court the first Jewish judge in all of Germany. It was an important life, but it has been completely forgotten. And I couldn't tell those who might learn the most from knowing about it because they don't speak English and in some cases not even German. Straße is today the north node of Hamburg's hundred thousand strong Turkish community. It's a remarkable group, facing many of the same dilemmas Rieser and his contemporaries faced. How many of your customs, religious and social, should you change in order to become a citizen of Germany? Does it matter anyway? Will the Germans ever accept you? The district is electric with immigrant energy. The women, especially, take possession of the sidewalk. The bourgeois-bohemian German women who live in the area dress down, but the Turkish women are chic to the max, and they know it. In the Red Lounge, owned by a couple of Turkish guys, I sat and watched a table of Turkish women in their twenties two drinking beer, one in hijab drinking water. They smoked, laughed, completely oblivious to what seemed to an outsider the dichotomy of secular and observant Muslim women in a bar, unaccompanied by male chaperones. There is nothing like a barber shave, and the Turks know how to do it. So I stopped into the salon Bechet Aja to have my chin scraped. I wanted to tell my barber about Reeser, but English was not among the languages he spoke. There were signs in the shop, though, that he would have understood the story. Reeser fought his community's corner in the world of politics, and on the walls there were pictures of the boss, with heavyweight politicians, former Turkish Prime Minister Burlent Echevet and Gerhard Schroeder, the former Chancellor of Germany. Leaflets for self-help organizations were mingled among the soccer magazines. Maybe they knew the lessons of Reeser's life without having heard of the man himself. I liked Hamburg. Its natives have the we-don't-care-where-you're-from-we've-seen-it-all-and-heard-it-all-before attitude of most great port cities. For some reason, the absence of the Jewish past did not affect me in this city as it does in other parts of Germany. Everyone's past was destroyed here when the firestorm flattened Hamburg in the summer of 1943, following several days of round-the-clock RAF bombardment. There are tiny bits and pieces of Jewish Hamburg left. In his will, Solomon Heine endowed a charity hospital for indigent Jews, and his nephew memorialized him in a poem about it. The thousand-year-old family affliction is what he called Judaism. Beautiful and bitterly ironic It's the essence of his work. Today the New Israelite Hospital is a job center near the sex emporia of the Reeperbahn. Its white exterior is daubed with anarchist graffiti. But there isn't much else a plaque on St. John's Lutheran Church offered witness. It read, In 1933, 20,000 Jews lived in Hamburg. In 1945, there were 945. It goes on, We were silent when they were disenfranchised, driven away, and gassed, and their synagogues destroyed. We ask their forgiveness. When there is no one left to remember, that is how people become ghosts. So, everywhere I went, I asked the question, Do you know who Gabriel Reeser was? My landlady, Anya, hadn't a clue. Sylvia Stiller at the Hamburg International Institute of Economics didn't know. Down by the docks in St. Pauli, Claudia, manager of the Box Prince Café, didn't know either. But then she was an outsider, from Bavaria, and had only been living in town for twenty years. It became a bit of an obsession, finding someone who knew who Reeser was. My time in Hamburg was too short to make a thorough survey, but I knew where he was buried. Surely someone at the cemetery would know who he was. On the last day I was in town, I got on the U-Bahn train and headed for Olsdorf. Olsdorf is the Highgate Cemetery of Hamburg. It claims to be the largest in Europe. Opened in 1873, the modern history of the city is buried here. 2,500 Commonwealth airmen from the two world wars, mass graves of the victims of the Hamburg firebombing, the city's grandees, and just plain folk. The train deposits a visitor virtually at the front gate. All is mock gothic. A sign pointed me towards a gatehouse for information. A middle-aged woman was seated at a desk covered in ledgers, engrossed in a phone call. She barely looked up at me. When the call was finished, she granted me eye contact. We had the awkward, Sprechen Sie English? interchange? She did not spreche. I tried my best to explain I was looking for Gabriel Rieser. She went through a ledger of ours. Nothing. She asked me something in German, and I made out what I thought was a word for date and assumed she meant when did he die. I wrote down 1863. She shook her head. Nein, nein. He was Judah. Nein, nein. She took out a visitor's map and pointed me towards the main office block and reception. It was undergoing renovation. I found my way through the scaffolding to the office, had the Sprechensee conversation a few more times until someone came out who did speak English. I asked her where Reeser was buried. They had a computerized list of all the dead. Reeser's name was not on it. When did he die? 1863. Now that caused puzzlement because the cemetery didn't open until a decade later and it caused consternation because I insisted Reeser was there somewhere and that he was very famous, or used to be, and there was actually a large monument to mark the grave. But like everyone else in Hamburg, they did not know who he was and had never seen the monument. They continued to scour their computerized databases. He was moved here in the late 1930s, I think, when the Nazis shut down the Grindel Cemetery. The Grindel had been the burial ground of the Ashkenazic elite in the 19th century. It was shut down in 1937 by the National Socialists. In a negotiation with the Jewish community, a certain number of prominent corpses were permitted to be disinterred and moved round the back of Olsdorf. That information moved things along. The office staff conferred among themselves and reached consensus. If his grave was anywhere, that's where it would be. So I thanked them and went back out the main gate into what was a spitting drizzle and walked along the main road through the not-very-interesting suburban streets. I found the Jewish section on a cul-de-sac and turned in through the gate. There was a small, red-brick chapel with some classical adornments. An office was around the side. Through the window I saw a youngish woman busily typing. I knocked on the door. Surely my search was over. She spoke English but did not know who Reeser was sounding like an exasperated teacher i asked her if her computer was online yes go to google okay type in gabriel Reeser. she did up popped a wikipedia page as i knew it would a picture of his graveside monument was included in the entry oh i know where this is she said she put on her coat and before we set off she asked me to get a covering for my head and pointed at a green box by the gateway I put the yarmulke on, and we walked to the very back of the cemetery. There, in a little lawn separated from the rest of the dead by evergreen hedges, was the monument. A bit of white marble in the classical style, columns supporting a pediment, a relief of a semi-nude woman, perhaps Athena, posed in a position of strength. The words, Dr. Gabriel Reeser, were chiseled on it. Stretching out in a straight row, either side of the monument, were modest headstones bearing the names of the prominent citizens whose remains were not desecrated by the Nazis. One of them belongs to Heinrich Heine's mother, Betty. The young woman gave me a moment of privacy, and a moment was really all I needed, just enough to tell him he was not forgotten. We walked back towards the office and made small talk. Her name was Bea, and she had studied undertaking. Apparently, the modern business of death, with embalming and funeral parlors, is relatively new in Germany, and after taking her degree in embalming science, which included a period of work study in a firm of East End Funeral Directors, she found herself without a job. Rather than sign on for the dole, she took a job at in inputting the names of the Jewish dead into their database. How did you get into undertaking, I wondered. I like to care for the bodies, she told me. I like to wash them, make them comfortable. I like to try and remember them, I thought. We shook hands by the office door, and she said she was going to go in and read up about Reeser. He seems like a very interesting man. He was, I said. Now Bea knows about him, and so do you. So for us, he's no longer a ghost. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. Please share it and visit the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, where you can hear lots more and you can make a donation to keep these podcasts coming. Thanks for listening.